This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we welcome Dr. Wesley Shoup to talk about some of the creepy crawlers found around the state. Home to many different species of spiders, Mississippi spiders come in a variety of shapes and sizes. From the common orb weaver to the secretive brown recruse, we will talk about these spiders and other insects found around the state. Dr. Major, as always, is ready for your pet questions. Libby's here, and she likes to hear your latest encounters with nature. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Good to see you and see you in person. Yes. It's been a while. Glad to have you back with us. Um, what are you seeing? Anything out of the ordinary when we get this, you know, we had somewhat mild temperatures, then all of a sudden we've had this kind of cold snap. So anything that you've noticed? Um, yes. One thing that we have talked about before, um, I've had quite a a crop or a flock or whatever. I've got a lot of kind of maybe half to three-quarter grown, uh, no, lizards, the little green lizards that we all see. And they've been on the porches and, you know, all around the yard. Uh, so when the cold snaps come in two nights ago, of course, we're in a mad rush moving all the houseplants <laughs> in, as I guess everybody else is. And we've talked about that you'll get hitchhikers. And so um I've only found one so far because I was trying to be mindful of that and checking plants, but mainly we were moving too fast to do as good a check as we needed to. So I did have a little lizard in the house, and I will tell you I've gotten this on good advice from a couple of herpetologists that those little anoles or anything that hitchhikes in with your plants, if you can possibly catch them and get them back outside, they're going to do much better, even even as cold as it was, that's still much better for them than being inside. For one reason, when we uh, use our heaters, and you know, I had wood stove going last night, um, they're they're going to get too dry, mm-hmm. and they, you know, it's hard for them to find just what they need. So it's always better to get them outside if you can. Uh, with birds, I would imagine they're fairly adaptive to temperature changes. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's still some migration going on, but the majority of birds have gotten where they're going to be for the winter, so they're settled. Um, I never got to see my big push of hummingbirds, and I hoped I might get a few final stragglers. I got, I think I saw maybe three hummers was all, and I usually have dozens, but that was a part of being out of town for too long. I want to remind people, um, you know, last week we talked about alligator snapping turtles mm-hmm. with Luke Pearson, and tonight is the night that he's doing a presentation, and so we'll get to see the visuals. Even if you heard what he had to say last week, I'm going to go over there. So at Clinton Community Nature Center tonight at 6 o'clock, he'll be talking about alligator snapping turtles, and he said he's got some touch and feel kind of things, and 
kids are very welcome, and there's somebody that's even going to do some programming with younger kids if they show up. So it's very family-friendly. And then this Saturday, we need to remember to talk about the spider walk. And what time, Wesley, is that going to start? It's from uh, 10 to 12. From 10 to 12, okay. And it's on the uh, 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 Fleur's Bluff, but not at the museum. It's from the Lakeland entrance and it's about four dollars a car, so mm-hmm. make sure you understand that. And uh, given the cold uh, streak that we've had, we're not sure what we're going to find, uh, but we'll leave it open. And it's always a good walk in the woods, no matter what. Yeah, and we may find um, egg cases if we don't find the spiders. Very likely. Uh, is... I, I was out with uh, Dr. Brent uh, Hendrickson last week. He led a spider walk up at the museum, a, a lovely one, and. Learned a lot, but uh, it's clear the spiders are closing up shop for the for the year. Yeah, that's that's kind of what we saw on our trails. I didn't go out this morning. I was too busy getting ready to come up here, <laughs> but um, I assume that I didn't have nearly as many in the bushes as I would have before. And we need to mention that next Tuesday, and I think that's the 25th, 6.30, um, Brent Hendrickson, that's who right. we just mentioned, is going to do a spider presentation at the Clinton Nature Center, and this time for all the Audubon people, but it, the public is welcome right. to that one. And I might also add that the spider walk is also an insect walk. So we'll do both. Uh, yeah, whatever is out, we'll take a look at. Uh, and I have to uh, say that it's uh, sponsored by the Audubon, Jackson Audubon Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, the powers that be would get me if I did not mention that. Yes, yes. And um, Will Bird and everything else. Everything else. Absolutely. But as you mentioned, that's a, one of my favorite trails. Uh, the uh, LaFleur's Bluff Trail is, is a fun one. So even if you don't see exactly a whole lot of stuff, it's a good way to get out and I mean, this time of year is great for hiking and outdoors because it's a, just a little cold, so you don't sweat too much, and usually very sunny. So yeah, and exactly. if you're able Saturday, I will be over. in uh, Dolphin Island on Saturday. Oh, oh wow. so. yeah, you can have a great time, and you'll probably see spiders there. <laughs> <laughs> As usual, Dr. Major has joined us from his clinic. Uh, So good morning, Dr. Major. What about the sudden drop in temperatures? What kind of effect does it have on our pets usually? Well, that's a good question. Some of them, it just makes them feel better. You know, they like the cool weather. Uh, We're what? We've had two nights right at freezing or close close to freezing. And a lot of our pets do need to come inside uh, if they are outside. But I... I would say that the majority uh, providing uh, shelter from wind, uh, any rain that we may have, which we may not have any rain for a while, and uh, it's it's fairly moderate, I guess, would be my answer to that. So we see a lot of uh, dogs that, you know, just really enjoy it when it gets cool. They rip and romp and play a lot more uh, as opposed to when it's hot, humid, and 95 degrees. <laughs> So uh, it, it depends on the dog, but uh, right now the temperatures, I would say, are moderate and should not be an issue. All right, got a couple of uh, pet emails to kick things off this morning. This first one asks, do dogs get hairballs like cats do? My dog, who's badly needed a haircut, uh, so he has lots of hair, has been coughing occasionally lately. It's a deep, dry cough and resembles my cat's coughs when they're coughing up a hairball. I haven't seen my dog cough, pro- uh, cough produce anything, however. Any thoughts on that one? It's an interesting question. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a dog off of or throw up a hairball. However, they do often pass a lot of fur or hair 
in their in their stools. Uh, uh, sometimes on a stool exam for parasites, we may see a lot of hair. Uh, so they are quite usually able to pass that without a problem. Whereas a cat, a lot of times I think it accumulates and then they have to throw it up. It's not going to pass on through. Uh, so that's the reason we see the the cat. Plus the tongue of the cat is a little bit different. It has the little, if you felt a cat's tongue, it has the little prickly mm-hmm. papilla on that tongue, and it propels, I won't say like a shark's teeth, but the papilla propels the hair into the stomach uh, uh, fairly readily, and that's the reason cats occasionally, and you usually find those in the morning when you get up with the lights, either off or not ever, and you step on them, and you know that the cat has thrown up a hairball. <laughs> yes, I, that's happened to me more times than I want to remember. <laughs> Right. So so a lot of times we talk about, you know, is a symptom worth a trip to the vet? I would think uh, this owner here, if the dog, if this cough is persistent, that, that maybe is a time to uh, schedule a trip to the vet and see what might be behind that. Exactly. It's probably something other than the hair. Uh, we see a fair amount of bronchitis. Uh, I hate to talk about what's called kennel cough, which can be a diverse uh, reason for coughing, uh, different causes. But uh, this time of year, with the changes... With the changes in temperature, changes in humidity, a lot of times we will see more coughing uh, in our in our dogs, especially. Uh, here's another one. This one asks: I have two uh, nine-year-old rescue cats that are inside, outside, and in good health. The female has very long black hair. Recently, had her groomed for the first time. Uh, does grooming actually benefit, or should I leave her as is in the future? And I know that we've talked about matting hair a lot. So, is that a concern? Certainly, is a concern, and it depends on the breed and it depends on the cat itself. I have one moderately long-haired cat that really never mats uh, grooms well. One thing I'll say about hairballs, going back to that, is most cat owners that uh, see hairballs or know that the cat has hairballs, it's thrown up hair. We use a laxative, uh, usually called cat lax or laxatone, and a dose or two of that usually will solve the problem. If they're, if they're throwing up hairballs. But uh, back to the, the shearing or grooming, a lot of cats do need to be sheared. It's much very uncomfortable. We've seen cats that can hardly walk because of mats, and that gets to be a real problem. In other words, it constricts the movement. And uh, a good combing or brushing, if the cat will let you do that, will help prevent that. But some of them are going to mat regardless. Those are the ones that I would say need to be uh, professionally groomed. Yeah, I had a, a cat uh, that had hairball uh, trouble, and I got some medicine, and, and it was recommended that you put it on her paw, and so that <laughs> the idea would be that she licks it off and then gets it that way instead of having to give it to her directly. Well, every time I did that, she would just violently shake her paw and <laughs> send the medicine flying around the room, so that wasn't such a good idea, but I think I eventually figured out how to get her to uh, do that, and fortunately, the cat I have now does not have a whole lot of issues with hairballs, so got a couple well, calls. Cats, Go some, ahead. Some cats, will, some cats will take it as a treat, uh, but you and all cat owners know that sometimes if the cat doesn't want it, it's not going to take it. <laughs> So true, so true. Uh, let's take one call, and it's our friend Sue from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I do like to ask a couple of questions, okay? Go ahead. First of all, I'd like, like to say I love those little green lizards. I was chopping collard greens uh, up on a plate once to put in the pot, 
And I little green lizard lived in the kitchen window for about two months. I adored him. He, he came down and flicked his thing out and ate, ate a little flick of collard green off that plate. I didn't know they were, <laughs> would eat vegetables, you know. <laughs> he would, and, and uh, I was sorry to see him go. He left out, he screwed out the back door one day when I had the door open. But um, uh, I want to ask about spiders. Are, are they cold blooded? Do they make your, where do they go? They are cold-blooded. We we say ectothermic, which means they get their, their heat from the outside. Um, and uh, they uh, are not terribly active during the winter. Uh, in fact, most spiders, as I alluded to earlier, are, are pretty much closing up shop right now. Uh, they're active uh, earlier in the year, in the spring and whatnot, and they usually mate uh, oftentimes in the uh, summer and, and in the fall. Uh, but they're they're um, they're they're, they're uh, kind of winding things down right now, and uh, the usually the only thing that overwinters are the eggs, um, and the the adults uh, die off. Uh, most spiders don't live uh, beyond a single year, and after that year, they they uh, pretty much pass on, and it's only the eggs that overwinter and survive. Well, thank you. I, I didn't know that. All right, uh, Sue, always good to hear from you. Thanks for your call. We'll welcome our guest for the hour, Dr. Wesley Shoup. Just returning from a trip to the Amazon River, we'll talk about some of the spiders and insects seen during his travels and what spiders call Mississippi home as well. Dr. Major will stay on the line ready for pet questions, so send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Going to begin our discussion with our guest, Dr. Wesley Shoup, in just a second, but we do have another frequent caller and friend of the show on the line, Kathleen from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Oh, good morning, good morning. Listen, I've got a little... It's cold. All the mice are running inside. You know, they're trying to find shelter. Well, I've never had mice in the house before. But B.B. has decided that he's going to revert back to the wild animal that he was before I adopted him. And I go to get out of bed yesterday morning. Of course, it's cold. I'm trying to peel off my shoes. And you never believe what I found on my shoe. A dead mouse. I've been <laughs> and I went out, you know, did my usual freakazoid routine, and then Beaton's looking at me like, what's the big deal? I just gave you my mouth. <laughs> and he looked at me like, now what do I have? And you ruined my mouth. <laughs> so I picked it up and threw it outside. He looked at me like, that's the dumb, the dark, oldest thing I've ever seen. She threw my mouth away. And you know, he actually had an attitude. <laughs> I, I said, look. I love you too, but no mice. <laughs> but I thought you'd enjoy with the with the cold coming in. No tell them what we're gonna wind up in a house this year after all that rain. Y'all have a good day. You know I love your show and I'm glad to see you be back. Hey Kathleen, before you go, I read somewhere online that uh, for mouse control a peppermint scent is something that they do not like. So if you get some uh, peppermint oil or whatever and, and uh, kind of put it around where you think the mice are, supposedly uh, that'll help them move uh, somewhere else because they don't like the scent. Always good to hear from you, Kathleen. Thanks for the call. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, our guest today is Dr. Wesley Shoup. Uh, has uh, really a distinguished background, former director of parasitology at Merck, a former VP of global health head and global head of animal health, R&D at DuPont Labs, helped bring forth the product NexGuard, uh, and worked with the lab of Nobel Prize winner Dr. William Campbell, who revolutionized vet medicine studying ivermectins. That's really impressive. What, what got you into uh, interested in science? 
Well, I started out as a, as a many do as a young boy, just appreciating nature uh, going out. We had a ravine be, uh, behind our house and used to go into that and just spend hours wandering and uh, began loving what I was seeing and trying to find out what it was I was seeing. And it just led on until I made a career out of it. Uh, I would say memo to folks who might be listening who have younger kids. I think every time we have one of our experts come on, it's a very similar background. And so I'd say, hey, encourage your kids to get out, explore their surroundings. And, you know, not everybody will end up in the field, but I think it's a a good way to develop that. And, again, you know, out and about exercise and fresh air is always a good thing. So that would be my tip to – the single guy is saying this, but, <laughs> but that might be a way uh, to get your kids uh, involved in, in, in nature. So we're going to focus on spiders today. So let's uh, start with some basics. What is a spider? Uh, spiders are found in the phylum Arthropoda, which means jointed appendages. And uh, uh, their allies are insects, uh, scorpions, and believe it or not, ticks. Um, uh, uh, as well as a, a number of marine uh, types, uh, such as uh, shrimp and, and crabs. Uh, they are typified by having an exoskeleton. Uh, we have an endoskeleton. Our skeleton's inside. Theirs is on the outside. Uh, water is, is a, a necessity of life, and insects and, and, and spiders have, have solved the problem by having this outer shell so that when they leave the water, they carry their water with them on mm. the inside. Um, and that, that shell is light, it's strong, it's flexible, it's made out of a, a, of a polymer called chitin. Um, it adds uh, uh, in muscle attachment, it protects uh, organs and, and tissues, and it prevents water loss. But one of the downsides to it is it's non-living. And if a spider or insects want to grow, uh, they have to periodically shed that outer skeleton. And sometimes when you see uh, these sheds, uh, they're given the the crazy name exuvium. Uh, When you see these sheds, you might actually mistake them for uh, a real spider. Mm -hmm. In fact, I did that just last week in the Amazon, much to my embarrassment. I saw a, a spider dangling from a web. Uh, it was a, as big as my fist, and it was twirling, and it gave a three-dimensional, it looked like it was moving, and I assumed it was alive. And when I walked up to it, uh, it was the exuvium. It was the shed. And they step out of them much like you would a pair of pajamas. <laughs> and they leave this shed uh, for all the world to see that looks like the the actual organism itself. So when we talk about, and I guess the term, we've discussed this on the air before here, but poisonous versus venomous, are, are, are spiders venomous? And if so, is, are all spiders bad? <laughs> uh, as far as I'm concerned, no spider is bad. Uh, all are venomous. Uh, at least they're venomous to their prey. Uh, and and that, uh, there is no spider known uh, that uh, uses humans as a prey. Now, there are some spiders uh, that, if they are cornered, uh, will defensively bite. And there are a handful, four to be precise, here in Mississippi that are uh, considered venomous and and harmful to humans. But they're all venomous. Uh, They use um, their fangs, uh, they're hypodermic, and they actually inject venom into their prey, which either subdues them, paralyzes them, or dispatches them. Uh, And then they feed on them. Uh, and as I said, if, if cornered by a human, accidentally or otherwise, they will uh, defensively uh, protect themselves and they will bite. A lot of those bites are, are, are dry bites. 
much like snakes, copperheads, uh, cottonmouths, rattlesnakes. Uh, not all bites will they envenomate you. Uh, uh, some, some are literally dry and will, other than the mechanical puncture, uh, they, they will cause no other issue. Uh, but there are some that will. Um, members of the widow family, there are three here, the northern, the southern, and the brown widow. Uh, they're in the genus uh, Latrodectus. Uh, they, will, uh, they do have a venom that will uh, uh, hit humans, uh, and it can be rather painful. It's actually a neurotoxin, uh, and it hits nerves. And it can be very painful, causing cramping and tachycardia and whatnot. Uh, rarely, rarely, rarely is there ever a death. And, and most often, the, uh, a, a visit to your physician isn't even necessary for that one. Now, the brown recluse or the fiddle spider, um, that's a different matter. It, 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 it causes um, a tissue degradation. Mm. Uh, that one can be uh, uh, problematic, and probably uh, management by a physician is probably called for. But there's only four of them. But they're all venomous, but just not to humans. And, and uh, with respect to the, um, for instance, the black widow, uh, the black widow, it's usually only the female uh, that causes uh, a, a bite that is problematic. The males uh, in most spiders are, are very small, almost tiny. For instance, the golden silk orb, orb weaver, the, the, the male is only a 50th the size of the female. And, and uh, just from a mechanical standpoint, their fangs aren't deep enough to penetrate your skin. Now, they, they use those fangs to subdue their prey, but humans are a different matter. And to try to penetrate your skin is not so easy, and only the female can do it. She's big enough to do it. This is Creature Comforts, and we're visiting this morning with Dr. Wesley Shoup. He is our resident spider expert for the morning. So if you have a question or comment, you can email animals at mpbonline.org. Tell us, if you would, uh, types of spiders that are most commonly found around our homes. Uh, well, we just mentioned a couple of, uh, of the, the venomous and harmful ones, uh, uh, so we don't need to go there. But in, in and around our homes, uh, we can find dozens of different species. The orb weavers are, are some of the most obvious. They're the ones that create these beautiful geometric webs. Uh, they're easily seen. Um, the spiny-backed orb weaver is, is typical in almost in everybody's garden. They're the ones that look a little like a crab. Um, they come in a, a variety of colors. You can find white morphs, uh, yellow morphs, and red morphs. And for instance, just a mile from here in, in the Flores Bluff, you can find all three of those on any given day. And, and they're absolutely beautiful and, and totally harmless to us. Now, not to their prey, of course, <laughs> but harmless to us in a clinical sense. Uh, so they, they are very common. Other ones are the common uh, uh, garden spider, which is a fairly large spider. It, it, it's not quite as big as your hand, uh, but they're the ones that make the zigzag pattern in, in their orb. Uh, that zigzag is called a stable lamentum, and, and it's uh, debated as to the function of that, but they, they are very, very uh, clearly defined. It's a beautiful spider, uh, yellow bands and whatnot, and you oftentimes uh, see them in, in your garden. Um, I, uh, on my front porch, I find literally dozens of species of spiders, uh, from tropical orb weavers to orchard orb weavers to, to you name it, uh, we've got it. 
I might put in a plug for uh, iNaturalist. Um, for those of you who have uh, animals that you capture or, or look at, if you can, and by capture I mean on a phone, an iPhone, if you can take a picture of it and you get on I, iNaturalist, it's a citizen scientist project, uh, you can actually uh, um, uh, uh, put those uh, pictures on there and it, they will help identify it for you almost instantaneously. And for spiders, they do a relatively good job except for the rare ones. Um, and, and that extends for all animals and all plants as well. And I might say that, uh, you know, I just got back from the Amazon, and we all oftentimes think that's the center of the universe for biology. But but I'm going to put a plug in for your front porch. <laughs> uh, I have now identified on my front porch alone close to 700 species. Wow. 700 species. And I've got them all on, on, on iNaturalist. I keep that iNaturalist mainly as a catalog of them. And you can actually um, take the, their map and you can map out your own yard, your own city, your own county, your own state, or whatever geographical locale you want. And all and people throughout the world who identify organisms in there and, and put them in iNaturalist go into that feed. And I've got a feed just of my yard uh, alone. And again, I can go to it, and I did last night, and I've got 685 species that I have identified in my yard. The overwhelming uh, number of them are arthropods, just like we're talking about today, mainly insects, but spiders as well. Um, and so it, it, for those that are out there that are interested, uh, it's a great way to, to organize your finds. It's a great way to identify your finds and keep track of them. Very good. We're visiting today with our guest, Dr. Wesley Shoup, about spiders around Mississippi. Also, Dr. Major, still on hand, ready for your pet questions. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. We've been talking about spiders, but Andrew's been patiently waiting to ask a dog question for Dr. Major. So, Andrew, you're up. Go ahead with your question, please. Uh, what question uh, had to do with Labradors? Um, for, for, like, flea medication, uh, like, frontline versus trifecta? I know trifexas appeal. That's why lines are topical. Right. You know, of course, trifexas has more than just flea control. We're talking about heartworm and intestinal worms. So it's a combination pill. Uh, Frontline would be a good choice. Choice in some areas, we've seen some resistance or resistant fleas to Frontline or some of the other ones that have been around for a long time. One of the more common ones on the market right now that does an excellent job is called Perfecto. Uh, it's a three-month pill, and it's excellent against fleas and ticks. Okay, so traffic. Pardon? I have one more question. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, my mother-in-law, she has a Labrador also, and she gives the dog... Um, uh, she takes she takes a fish oil pill in the morning, and she gets her dog with her pills. Is that you know recommended or? Yes, a lot of a lot of the dogs probably are somewhat deficient in the fish oil type uh, fatty acids, and in many cases it does help with the hair coat and has some effect on the itchy dog. So it would certainly be worth a try to use that if you have any of those problems. Nothing wrong with doing it. All right, Andrew, thanks uh, for calling in this morning. We're visiting today with Dr. Wesley Shoup talking about spiders. Dr. Shoup, what's the role of a spider web? Uh, the spider web is, is mainly a, a device that is designed to capture prey. 
Um, and uh, they come in a variety of different shapes and sizes. Uh, um, uh, the, the orb is, is one of the more common ones, but you've got funnel uh, uh, spiders as well. Um, but they, um, they're oftentimes sticky, and uh, one of their uh, primary prey is flying insects. Uh, and these flying insects, when they encounter the sticky bands, now not all of the, of the bands of a spider web are sticky. Uh, some are just for the spider itself to, to uh, locomote on. Uh, but there are sticky bands as well, and they uh, act just like an insect glue trap. Uh, they'll capture a flying insect, and the spider uh, is very, very sensitive to the vibrations, and uh, they will come down immediately. Spiders can move relatively quickly. Uh, and they'll wrap up the prey in silk. Silk is a protein that is extruded by spinnerets in the in the in the abdomen of the spider. Uh, and when they wrap them up, uh, they'll use them as larder. One, one of the ways spiders feed, um, uh, the primary way, is as we talked about before, they use their fangs to envenomate the prey, which uh, will paralyze it and, and ultimately dispatch it. But spiders, they're, they're GI tract. They have a mouth, they have a, a, a gastrointestinal tract, and they have an anus. But it's very small, it's very narrow, and they can't take in solid foods. And what they, they will do is they will pump out digestive juices from their stomach into that prey that has been envenomated. And that those digestive juices will then digest the prey. Mm. And the spider will then suck up the liquefied products. Um, but they can't take in solid products. Um, and uh, oftentimes after, when you see in a web, you'll see these mummified insects in the web. Um, and they have been actually sucked dry, and all that's left is their cadaver. And ult- ultimately, the, the spider will cut them loose, and, and so the uh, other uh, insects uh, will, will fly into the web. And that's how they actually feed. That's, they make a smoothie every I, day. Well, and I was going to say that that's, <laughs> that's very much the, the stuff for a horror movie. I'm thinking of that uh, process there. So. No, I prefer the smoothie <laughs> analogy. Yeah. Well, as, as we commented earlier, nature is not neither ki- kind nor cruel. It's just it's just indifferent. Yes. Uh, and that's the way they make their living. We got a caller on the line, but did want to ask first. And you know, I think when we talk about snakes and spiders, two creatures that a lot of people are you know afraid of and and that sort of thing don't realize what role some of these creatures play in the larger ecosystem so where does the spider fit in well the the spider is 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 a is a um a predator and it is um in in the top trophic level of its of its group and it plays a very important role um and I've got a phone here ringing, I think. I can step in for a second. Uh, Put it just right down there. They catch a lot of mosquitoes in those webs, if you've ever looked, and they catch a lot of other insects that we would probably rather not have around. So they're, you know... For that role alone, absolutely, they are valuable. To they people. they create a balance. Yeah. Uh, Mother Nature is 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 stratified, but it's remarkably non chaotic. Uh, they 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 there is a balance. There's a number of spiders, and if they get too many, they exhaust their 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 food source and they die off. So it's a natural return to a balance. Likewise with the prey, if if there's too many of them, the spiders rebound. So there's a natural balance there, and if you knock any of them out, it doesn't matter. Where you're going to create an imbalance and cause issues that that, that occurs in your GI tract with bacteria and everything else. You know they have a really good knack for if you think about 
where a spider is. They strategically locate their spider web in places where they're going to catch the most insects. So if you see a spider web in a certain corner of your porch, that's probably where some bugs are coming in. Absolutely. You, you might want to look at that spot because chances are the spider's not getting them all. You might need a little caulk in that corner. <laughs> or they're, you know, a busy door, a screen door on a porch, they're going to like to be right there by it because, you know, insects are coming in absolutely. and out of those kind of places. Yeah, so they're, they're absolutely critical, as all are, are all species. Uh, they all have a place in, and if any of them gets knocked out or, or diminished, or e- even if you bring in an invasive it disrupts that balance, and it can really cause an issue. I mean, for instance, uh, we, the, the golden silk orb weaver right now is one of our beautiful spiders. Uh, anybody who hikes during the fall is going to encounter this. Uh, they've got golden webs. Uh, some of them are 45 feet long, mm-hmm. the anchor long, their anchor web. Um, but but uh, it, it, there is another one that has just been recently introduced into the United States called the Joro spider from Japan. Uh, it's now in Georgia and I believe in the Carolinas. I just took a look at iNaturalist last night, and now they are finding species even west of us in, in Oklahoma. So it's a matter of time before the Joro comes to Mississippi. Uh, it could be a matter of months. It, it, for all I know, it may already be here, just not recognized yet. Uh, but when it comes in, it's going to be very interesting to see how it, it affects that balance we were talking about. How will it compete with our golden silk? Will it compete at all? Will it take food from other organisms? Anytime you bring in an invasive, uh, you're going to have a, a disequilibrium until it settles out. Got some callers to get to. As promised, we'll begin with uh, our friend Rachel from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. So good morning. Um, I just wanted, as an aside, to let you know that as we speak, there's a little black jumping spider on my coffee table listening to the program as well. (laughs) (laughs) And and before I ask my question about the spider, Please don't use sticky traps to catch mice or anything else. It's Great a horrible, point. horrible death. Uh, be better to just do the uh, the kind that slaps them on the neck and kills them instantly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, there's a spider that lives either, I believe, in Australia or Africa somewhere that lives underground, and after it... Uh, uh, sucks the juices from the prey and its uh, skin is left, it wears that uh, skin on its body. Uh, do you know about that and why uh, that might be the case? Well, I, I, I don't know about that specifically, but, but th- there are a number of instances in the animal kingdom where um, uh, organisms will take other organisms. I mean, the hermit crab is, is a classic. Uh, it, it's an arthropod, but but you often find them draped in, in a mollusk, a shell. Uh, the, the, and it's for camouflage, it's for protection, it's for a variety of things. Uh-huh. Uh, it would not, I, I don't, again, know this uh, case specifically, uh, but but my guess is that it is either using the, the, that, that, that carcass of that, that uh, previous prey, either for camouflage or for protection. Okay. And one last, uh, thank you for that answer. Very helpful. Uh, so is the female the only uh, 
gender of the spider that weaves the web? Um, that, that's a very good question. It is the, the one that generally weaves the web. Uh, you, uh-huh. the, the males are typically very, very, very small. Um, and, and, and there's a debate about why they are small. It's called sexual dimorphism. Um, some people believe it's uh, because spiders, uh, the female after mating, will, will occasionally uh, consume the male. Uh, some people think it might be a, a device by the male to make himself less worthy and so that he is really <laughs> not worth the meal. Small and insignificant. <laughs> yes. Uh, I've read that some male spiders make a very sketchy little web right. close to the females, yeah. but often they'll okay. live right on the edge of hers. Oh, yes. Just yeah, you know, it's, just it's, removed a little from danger. That, yeah, that's right, because it's very dangerous to be around that female. And a lot of males will wait till the female is actually feeding or has fed before they sneak in and try to mate and then try to make a, a rapid getaway uh, because uh, otherwise their life is short and they will contribute some at least protein to the raising of their young. Yeah, And, Rachel, I'm sure that your, your um, nice little... Uh, jumping spider that lives with you there he's uh, uh-huh. been, they they get down in the rugs and search for baby roaches so yeah uh-huh. they're, they're doing oh, the service for oh you. my goodness <laughs> uh, and and they can also uh, uh uh to follow up libby's comment they can get into the rug and they can actually get the uh, uh larvae of fleas uh, uh which is oh. uh, which is really quite beneficial um God created rugs for fleas, and, and uh, the, uh, fleas love them. Um, and for every flea you see on the dog, we oftentimes think there's a hundred in the carpet. So even if uh-huh. you treat your dogs, uh, as Dr. Major would tell you, very quickly, if, if you don't continue that, uh, the, the, they'll come right back out and, 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 yeah. and get it. And uh, another reminder is that a spider is only in your house if there is food for him. Yes. And they... Yes. Eat insects. So uh, let let me make another interesting observation that mo- most people don't think of. I commented to Dr. Hendricks about it on on his uh, spider walk last week. Uh, one of the uh, very close relatives of uh, spiders are ticks. Most people don't recognize it, but but spiders are basically stubby ticks. <laughs> Uh, they they are eight legged. They have an exoskeleton. They suck their prey. Uh, now they do vertebrates, and and uh, ticks are uh, actually modified for a parasitic way of life, whereas pro- uh, spiders are uh, have evolved a predatory way of life. Uh, but but ticks are basically stubby spiders. All right, Rachel. Thanks for your call. We're talking today with our guest, Doctor Wesley Shoup, about spiders. Got some phone calls to get to, so let's start again in Tremont. Our friend Joey on the line. Good morning, Joey. Good to hear from you. What do you have for us? Good morning, y'all. Uh, Doctor Shoup, the uh, widows and the recluses are their venoms the same? No, they are and not. And do they work on the circulatory or uh, neurological system? Uh, the, uh, the, they are not the same. Uh, I think I mentioned that the uh, the widows have a neurotoxin and it hits nerves. Uh, it's painful. Uh, it's rarely uh, fatal. It, and, and oftentimes uh, a trip to the doctor is not even necessary. But it takes a, a day or two uh, to get over it, much like a bee sting or a wasp sting. Uh, the uh, venom of a, a brown recluse is a different matter. It, it's a tissue-degrading uh, toxin, and it can last for days. And in some cases, uh, rare cases, it can go on for even longer than that, and it needs to be managed uh, medically by a physician. 
Um, and uh, I, I'm not sure there's a whole lot they can do but manage the pain and make sure that that, that necrosis uh, does not spread. But they're two totally different venoms. Okay. Thank you, sir. You That's most helpful. You Thanks, bet. Joey. Let's uh, go next. We are talking about spider webs earlier. Joe from Kill has a question about them. Good morning, Joe. You're on the air with us. It's your turn. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm a, can I start with a real quick story? Sure. I've had two two pet tarantulas over the years, Agnes one and Agnes two. And I took I took Agnes one in my, in my public speaking class in an oatmeal box, so nobody knew what I had. And I, when I pulled her out and let her start walking up my arm and around my neck, everybody I lost a couple of people on the front rows. <laughs> I told him, I said, don't move too fast. Agnes can jump 20 feet. Well, everybody stood on the back wall. So. Great story, Joe. Well, I, I just got back from the Amazon, and, and one of my uh, keen memories was a tarantula that uh, came out of a burrow. It was the size of a chihuahua. Wow. And uh, uh, I, I don't care who you are, but, but it gave me the heebie-jeebies. Um, and the, these feed on small mammals and birds. Uh, I mean, this is a large animal. Uh, now, the tarantulas here in, in, in the United States uh, do not get that big. Uh, they get the size of your hand, but nonetheless, it's, it's a sizable uh, animal. And Brent yeah, Hendrickson, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, Go ahead, Joe. I fed, fed Agnes crickets. Mm. All the time. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be careful a little bit with with, uh, tarantulas. uh, uh, I mean, they can become fairly docile, uh, but they can also deliver a a heck of a a puncture wound. Um, And their venom is is, it will not harm people very much, uh, but but it will will sting. They also have urticating hairs on their abdomen. Uh, They they will actually throw these hairs uh, sometimes like a porcupine will throw quills. Uh, and I've handled uh, uh, tarantulas in the past, and afterwards you'll have this uh, uh, itching sensation in your hands, and it's from those hairs. They've got barbs on them, and the, the base of them is very thin, so they break off, much like a cactus spine. Uh, and long after the spider is gone, you'll remember him. Yeah, I was going to say, Brent oh, yeah. Hendrickson studies tarantulas, he does. and he's gonna, he probably will have one with him Tuesday at that lecture. Did you have a question, Joe? Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I saw Agnes several times flicking hairs with her back leg mm-hmm. off when she was threatened. But my question was, do some spiders eat their webs at night or sometimes and then redo the webs? Yes. Yes, they bio okay. they bio recycle for sure. Uh, a lot of the orb weavers will actually bring down their nets uh, the following day. They're usually active at night, uh, and during the day they hide. Uh, and during the day, they'll 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 repair their 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 web or they'll consume it. They'll ingest it. That web is made out of proteins, uh, so it's good nourishment. And they'll recycle those those uh, those nutrients, and uh, then they'll pr- produce another web. All right, Joe. Thanks for the question and and the story. Enjoyed that. Uh, let's uh, one final question or comment or caller. That is, I'll get it straight. Lauren from Pearl is on the line. Good morning. It's your turn. So go ahead. Um, hi, uh, I have. Uh seen several large wolf spiders in my house and i wondered um is that common that they you find them more in the house than outside and um and then i also want to know is that another case where the female is larger than the male or is it um sometimes the male's larger with those wolf spiders 
Well, typically, uh, as, as mentioned before, the, the, it is the female that's larger. Um, and and uh, wolf spiders are very common here in, in Mississippi. Again, they can deliver a bite, but and it's venomous to its prey, but it's uh, harmless to humans. Uh, I mean, you may not think so when you get bit. Uh, but but uh, if, if you don't uh, handle them or you don't put them in a defensive posture, you'll never uh, have that experience. Uh, but uh, I commonly see them on my porch in Brandon. Uh, you're not too far away in Pearl. Uh, it, they're a natural part of, of the landscape. Uh, they will occasionally find their way into the house through cracks, crevices, and, and whatnot. If you can uh, usher them out, uh, that would be the best. Uh, they can hunt inside and, and, and uh, knock off some of the, uh, uh, the insects you might have, like cockroaches and whatnot, and again, restore that balance that's in your house, in your yard, and whatnot. Uh, but, um, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of wolf spiders in my house, and I, I pick them up and, and, uh, with paper and take them out and let them continue on their, 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 their little life. All right, uh, Lord, we appreciate your call. Uh, I've got about 45 seconds left. I think it was, was it iNaturalist? iNaturalist. Okay. It's a website. Mm-hmm. Any other resources that uh, someone could learn more about spiders? Well, that's the biggest resource uh, for all animals, uh, and and to really uh, get into that is an extraordinary thing. It's a it's a way to to identify organisms. It's a way to catalog them. I, I use it a, a great deal just to uh, see the ranges of organisms. When I find a new one uh, of anything in my porch or in the floors or wherever I go, I often check on iNaturalist to find out what its natural range is. Some are are found uh, just local in in Mississippi some throughout the United States, some worldwide. And it's very interesting. You can learn a lot from it. It's free. It costs no money. Uh, and it's a great way to, to learn and identify uh, organisms. And, you know, everybody these days has a smartphone, so what a great way to find out what you're looking at out there. So iNaturalist is uh, that uh, that we recommend. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener is Charles Arnold. For Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest, Dr. Wesley Shoup, I'm Kevin Farrell. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.